Hi, and welcome to One Great History, the podcast all about great and not-so-great Winnipeg history. I'm Sabrina. And I'm Alex. And we're joined by friend and producer Nick. 2024, baby. Yeah, we're back, finally. <laughs> I thought about making a joke where I don't know how to do the intro because it's been so long. But that would just be also, like, normal for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can do the outro if you want. No, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so long you've forgotten? Mm-hmm. All of like what two months? <laughs> I think you only nailed it once, Alex. So like you had it once, and now you've lost it again. But wasn't that a glorious moment? Was the one time you got it the time you remembered to like write it down? It might have been. Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome back, everyone. We missed this. Mm-hmm. It's nice to see everyone in the studio again. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, we see each other a lot. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen you two since the live show. So. Yeah, it's been a that while for the three of us to be together. It but... is only three of us here, though. You made it sound like there's like a, a team. There are two people upstairs, or one, one person. Of them, one of them is a dog. <laughs> one of them is a dog who, to be clear, does not like me. Yeah, <laughs> and he has not liked you for years, unfortunately. <laughs> for no reason. Yeah, we don't know. Why. I don't understand what it is. I think the last time I saw him, he bit my toe. <laughs> He also and, bit the plumber's toe around that time. He was going through some stuff. Yeah. He did lick it after you and your wife um, yelled at him to be sorry. <laughs> so he does know. Bad. He understands how to say sorry. Yeah. It was nice. But yeah, nice to see everyone and the dog again. Yes. And to be doing this again. I'd miss doing research. Yeah. I found it was nice to get back into it. This is going to be a nice, easy one. We're going to do Valentine's Day stuff again, because yeah. one of my favorite things to do is to go through our old um, relationship advice columns. Yeah. I can't remember. I guess we didn't do that last year because we were busy with prepping for prepping the 150, for 150 stuff so I think the year before we did a, a valentine's one we did yeah and then i think in that one we ended in like the early or late 1930s kind of going into the first or second world war yeah so we're gonna kind of kick off in the 1940s okay and stick kind of around then i picked a couple of really fun ones and weirdly we seem to run out of tribune advice columns in like the mid 1940s hmm like, they just don't have a columnist for a bit, so we're going to go through the Winnipeg Free Press this time. Oh. But in doing um, my research, I did find a thing the Tribune did only in 1942 called The Masked Jury. What is that? Um, it is, I mean, it's basic. it sounds like a panel show they would have done on, like, the radio or, like, they it would does. have hired, like, Groucho Marx. It sounds like What's My Line. Yeah. Um, basically, they get this, like, crack team of random people to give advice on random personal situations. Okay. And the jury is listed only by their profession. Okay. So this is like housewife, school teacher, waitress, okay, store that's a, clerk, that's a plumber. Fun so instead of instead of like the one woman who gives you advice, it's a, a team. A mysterious panel. Okay. That may or may not just be the writers at the Tribune. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now that you've said that, I feel like it almost definitely is. Because the thing to remember for all of this is a lot of it probably isn't real. Yeah. Is it the same people or occupations every time no it's, no there's generally one housewife on a panel is okay. what i found but no it tends to be pretty random okay one of them was like painting assistant once okay that does make me think maybe they're just like asking people they know then who knows yeah because they only did it for one year mm-hmm. and i was trying to look into it and it seems like no other newspaper did it this hmm. was a tribute exclusive gimmick that went nowhere else <laughs> so um we're going to go through three of the cases. We're going to do dramatic reading because there's a lot of different people giving advice. The juries are like 10 to 12 people normally. Oh, wow. I have toned them down. I did cut out the boring answers. Okay. Because I feel like people going, yeah, I think they're right. Is it super interesting? Yeah. Yeah, fair. Okay. So 
our first case today from um, February of 1942 is on the advice of my doctor, I was ordered to take a month's rest away from my home so I could take advantage of a certain treatment. When I got back a few days ago, I found a lipstick and some hairpins different from any kind I have ever used in my home. I am afraid to think of what it might mean. I have always trusted my husband before, but I can't help feeling different now. I have been heartsick ever since I made this discovery. I haven't told him what I found, but he keeps asking me why I act so strange. I don't know whether I should come right out and ask him about it or if I should try and set some trap to catch him and find out if I am feeling correctly. Mm -hmm. Do you think I should ask him to explain how the lipstick got in her house or try to find some other way? Okay. So I had a very similar situation to this once with my older sister. And I was thinking about that when I put yeah. this in the episode. Do you want to tell that yeah. story? So this is my, my older sister is a very even keeled person. Mm-hmm. This is when she was pregnant. So oh yeah. She was a bad time. A bad time. Um, and I used to house sit for her sometimes. And so she sends me this picture one day of a lipstick and she's like, is this yours? And I'm like, oh yeah, it is. I mm-hmm. like just left it behind. And so for me, that was nothing. And I only learned later that that was, in fact, a crisis, which I had narrowly averted for her. Oh, no. Because she found this lipstick, was like, this is not mine. It must be some other woman. Yeah. <laughs> and fortunately, she had the thought to be like, I'll ask Alex first before I confront my husband. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, all was fine. Yeah. So now I'm like, maybe it's just his sister, sister or something. Could yeah. be. Could be. It's a little sketchy. Yeah. Um. Would you ask or would you set a trap? I would no. ask. I would not. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Okay. Here's the thing, though. I'm also very bad at keeping secrets. I would have asked the moment after I found it. Oh, same. Yeah. Just like, why do you have this? What is this? No, I feel like, the, or like if I managed to keep it in for a second when he was like, why are you acting weird? I would like it would be out. Yeah. You wouldn't be so like sitting in the dark waiting like with a <laughs> glass of Chianti. Yeah. And he turns on the light and you're just sitting there. And... What is this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what's wrong? You know what's wrong. <laughs> so, I did send you guys the jury's opinions. Okay. How should we re- should we say the title of the person Yes, or... I think their jobs are maybe not important, but it is interesting. Housewife one. Yes, if I were in that position, I would ask my husband and let him know I found them. Teacher. Yes, the least she can do is ask her husband. It's possible that the lipstick and hairpins could have been left by her own friends. Housewife two. No, I wouldn't ask him about it because he's only apt to lie about it. I would try to find out in some smarter way. Waitress. Nah, he's the last person I'd ask. (laughs) I would let on I was going away again and try to catch him stenographer yes i would ask him but i would be very careful about the tone of my voice i wouldn't let on that i was the least suspicious why is there a stenographer (laughs) this is this is the thing yeah the jobs are so random i think i somehow expected them to be related to the case no never the the housewives i get there is i think they just get housewives because there's a lot of housewives at the time sure i i have not seen one where they're like super applicable to the case at hand right um, on the whole, the jury votes eight yes about asking three vote no, mm-hmm. mostly on counts of like, I would try and trick him. Right. <laughs> or I know he'd lie. You know what's the best thing for a relationship? Lying and trickery. Yeah. <laughs> I love to set little traps for my partner to fall Plotting. into. Plotting. Plotting <laughs> is the, one of the tenets of a healthy relationship. <laughs> so what is interesting about the mastery I found is that sometimes men write in, which seems less common with the bigger 
like advice columns that you oh, get. Oh yeah. So um, the one I found was a group of men writing in. Mm. They call themselves the Hubby's Club. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And um, their letter reads: If this letter happens to get selected by the masked jury, we hope this panel has some married men on it. In the office where I work, I am surrounded with abused critters like myself. Married men whose wives confiscate the weekly pay envelope and hand out a weekly dole for lunch, man- lunch money, car fare, and cigarettes. Myself, I'm practically a bridegroom, being married only three years, and I used to think I was the only martyr or sucker of my kind until I started hearing some of the other boys talking. They are now hanging over my shoulder as I write this. We are unanimously convinced that opening pay envelopes must be a universal grab bag for all the women in the world. Anyway, there are ten of us here, and a checkup showed us all to be in the same boat. How about it, mass jury? Should a wife have the right to open her husband's pay envelope every week and give him an allowance? Signed, the Hubby's Club. (laughs) My wife is budgeting again. (laughs) How dare she? (laughs) So, this panel does have some men on it. Okay. (laughs) To let you guys read um, everyone's responses to the Hubby's Club. Uh, Oh, that's me first. Yeah. Uh, Streetcar Motorman. Once you start it, you're hooked. I started it 28 years ago, and I'm still hooked. But I guess I like it. So, yes. <laughs> Salesman. Can't you get these boys to send me a membership card? I could be a charter member of that outfit. No. Upholsterer. No. In my house, I pay the bills and handle the money. I'm the boss, and that's the way my wife likes it. That's the way it should be. Nursemaid. I think the husband ought to handle the money. Some women want to run everything. I vote against it. School teacher, my answer to that is to let those husbands who complain have the chance to run a household and do the marketing. They'd soon stop complaining. I actually feel like that last one's a pretty good It's a answer. good answer. <laughs> like, okay, like, maybe you don't see everything that goes into the household budgeting. Right, yes, exactly. Like, look, maybe look at the budget together with your wife. Yeah. So, like, this wasn't uncommon at the time. I had, like, a Canadian history course in university, and I read... There was a book that was like an oral history of Montreal housewives in the 1930s. Mm -hmm. And most of the housewives they interviewed did do that for their husbands because they were the one that had to buy the groceries and pay the bills and buy their husband's clothing. Yeah. So it made sense that they were the ones seeing how much money came in. So um, on the whole, the jury votes yes in favor of the wife seeing the Mm -hmm. envelopes. And then three say that women shouldn't have anything to do with it. (laughs) That's interesting that the nursemaid is one of those. If if we think that these are real Real. people. The one I like the most is the streetcar motorman who's like, I guess I like it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Never thought otherwise. Yeah. He's just been happily handing his check to his wife. No questions asked. Things have been going fine. I mean, that is actually a thing off your plate. Right. Yeah. If your wife is doing a good job of budgeting. Like, it's fine. That's fine. That's that's nice. You don't have to worry about it. <laughs> yeah. And like you're getting money for cigarettes still. Yeah, she's still giving you. <laughs> um, so the Hubby's Club does actually write back the next month oh. with news. Some of the Hubby's Club have gotten a raise. They would like to know if they should tell their wives they've gotten a raise or pocket the money to buy more cigarettes. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do not pocket the money to buy cigarettes. <laughs> um, of the men involved... Um, Okay, let's see. Four vote yes, two vote no for the women, and then one man says yes, you should tell your wife, and the other five go no. <laughs> wow. That's a secret. It's my, my secret cigarette money. 
Um, the highlight from this money one. to buy chocolate bars <laughs> right? at work. <laughs> My wife can't know I'm having snacks at the office. Um, a garage mechanic for this one said, "Don't tell nothing." <laughs> I remember my, my Uncle Bob, who apparently listens to this show, by the way. Oh, uh, my Uncle Bob. My Uncle Bob uh, used to used to like eat chocolate bars at work and without his wife knowing, without my aunt knowing. That, I, that was also a real thing that my dad used to do. Yeah? <laughs> my aunt and uncle had a stranger thing where like my aunt knew my uncle would eat chocolate, but he would hide it around the house. Mm-hmm. I think because like when the kids were younger, they would find it and get into it. Mm-hmm. But like I was living with them in university and I one day I remember I was like at the table and we were having supper and she goes in the fridge and goes, like, why is your chocolate bar under the mustard? <laughs> and he was like, I like it cold. <laughs> oh, okay. <I> know. <laughs> it's very odd. Yeah. I put so. Reese's in the fridge. Oh, I, I guess like that makes sense. Cold makes... Reese's, no, cold I cookies. I don't like my chocolate cold, no. Oh, oh. Hmm. I like it warm, melty. <laughs> I don't. It's, it's too messy. I love, just a nice normal temperature. <laughs> Got all the three bears here with Goldilocks. No kidding. <laughs> so I didn't copy the full letter for this one, but I thought it was an interesting uh, like subject at hand. And that a woman writes in to ask if the jury thinks a mother should return to work after her child has been born if she wants to. Oh. Yeah. So. Any, like, guesses on how this is going to go? In 1942, should women be in the workplace or at home? I mean, yeah, like, even now, I feel like people will debate about that, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, 100% people. people. Number one, my 91-year-old grandma still thinks that a woman's place is is raising a child. Really? Yeah. Oh, 100%, yeah. yeah. At home, no job. Yep. I mean, mean, it is hard, like, you know, the baby has to have someone taking care of of them but uh yeah. no, in this letter the woman mentions hiring a nanny or oh, a nurse okay. to come help yeah but yes i mean <laughs> but yeah generally generally yes i do think that a woman ought to be able to go back to work if she chooses um do i think that people of the 1940s thought so i don't think so i think it might be more mixed than you would expect though okay that's my that's yeah. my final answer uh we can go through case number three and you can see what the jury has to say Okay, fireman. No, a mother's place is with her child, especially in times like these. Housewife. Yes, if that's what she wants, there's no good reason why she shouldn't go back to her job. Of course her baby must be left in good hands. Janitor. No, some women don't know when to act sensible. A wife's place is in the home, taking care of her family. Newspaper woman. No, give me a baby to care for and I'll show you how fast and how far I'll get away from this, from all this career bunk. (laughs) school teacher (laughs) yes her work is probably as much a part of her life as is the husband's work to him store clerk yes but i can't figure out why anybody would have a desire to go to work if they didn't have to work that might be the most relatable answer (laughs) but having a kid at home is not relaxing oh yeah you're you're right whenever i imagine being a housewife i'm imagining it without there being a child (laughs) there being a baby that needs attention Um, so on the whole, the panel, it is, uh, three women vote yes, women should be able to work, three say no, mm-hmm. one man says yes, five say no. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, I guess, like, this is a time, right, when women, like, what, do you know what year this is? 1942. Yeah, so this is a time when women are entering the workforce in much larger numbers than before. Exactly. Because it's the war. <laughs> and they, they have to. Yeah, they have to. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting sort of, like... It has to be such an interesting time to try and navigate these, like, choices. Because suddenly there's, like, this possibility of, like, freedom. 
yeah. there might not have been before. And I do think, like, the school teacher is right that, like, this woman's social life might just be her job. Yeah, and we get this kind of oblique reference to that with the fireman who's, like, especially in, in times, times like, like these. these. Yeah. Right? Okay. Yeah, so, you know, I'm sure people were sort of panicking. Yeah. About, well, that's sort of what the 1950s is, is like <laughs> a, a response to this. A yeah. panicked response to women having been at work <laughs> for a little while. How dare they? Yeah. I like the newspaper woman also being like, I'd be out of here so fast. Yes, that's really funny. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I don't feel like that's going to be that hard for you to do. No, probably not. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the mass jury. That's the format. It only goes for a year. Mm -hmm. It's very strange, and I've never seen an advice column like it before. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if they were, first of all, 12 people is too much. Yeah. That's a lot. Um, if they were actually getting 12 people for every one of these columns, it might have just been too much work. Probably, right? Like, yeah. And, like, assuming you're, like, you don't just have, like, a stockpile, like, this is our one school teacher we go to. Yeah. Though I will say, every time they talk to the school teacher, that she gives reasonable advice. Hmm. So maybe Which makes me think that might be the same person coming <laughs> in to be, like, actually, women can do what they want. Yeah. Let's be normal. Yeah, what did she say in this one? Oh, yeah, her work is probably as much a part of her life as is the husband's work to him. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Totally reasonable. So I only did three because I figured we'd want to do dramatic readings like this the whole episode. Fair. And I thought we'd move into um, the Winnipeg Free Press instead to their advice columns. Okay. So their columnist for a while was a woman named Elizabeth Thompson. Not too, too long ago, the Free Press actually pulled a bunch of their, like, more interesting letters from that column and put them online. Oh, nice. So you can just go find those. They're really interesting. And it runs from, like, the 30s all the way into, like, the 50s. Mm-hmm. With the same woman? With the same woman. Oh, cool. So you get a pretty, like, wide breadth of opinions. Mm-hmm. So um, we're going to start in about 1942 as well. So, like, mid-war period. Yeah. And um, our first one is from a group of teenage girls. Mm, fun. Dear Miss Thompson, I am writing on behalf of a club, and we would like to know your attitude towards necking. Oh. Our group range in age from 17 to 19 and are of the don't-give-a-darn sophisticated type. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Yet when with boys, we are very careful, especially with those who always seem to be a step ahead of you. We all go for a little necking and think it has its right place. We haven't been going steady with any particular boys and have most of our dates gone dancing. As you know, dances are closely connected with cars. And cars usually lead to the boys necking. No, don't get me wrong. We come from highly respectable families. We merely wish to gain more knowledge of nature and are learning more every day, but still have much to learn. I can just picture parents reading this and panicking. <laughs> right? It's not done. Here's our main problem. We have come to the conclusion that all boys are the same in on one respect. Namely, they all try to see what they can get out of a girl. Almost all boys ask the girls they come across. It really scares us, and we are much afraid of twosomes and stick to foursomes for better protection. We don't think much of our present technique, which is asking boys, what would your mother think when boys are, have, uh, which is what with boys we have known for a long time and whose parents we know and respect. But this doesn't apply to all boys. How should we deal with the situation? That's, I mean, that's so interesting, isn't it? Right. Um, Like, this is super nerdy, but it's so interesting as a, like, um, little time capsule of like what's going on during this time like first right. of all we've got cars yeah so like cars are now associated with dating which is the thing that i think in one of our last episodes we talked about like before that you were going out in public constantly there wasn't like alone time yeah so you can be alone and like you know there's sort of like liberation in that but i guess there is also actually danger yeah right right they're talking about like sticking with other girls for safety 
which makes yeah a lot of sense especially because like now you have a bunch of boys that have like unlimited access to girls they haven't before and i think a part of being a teenager is trying to push boundaries with everyone to see what works and what doesn't yeah for sure which is why these girls are experimenting with necking to learn more about nature yeah and it's really interesting that they're like no we want to do some stuff but like we don't know how to turn all of them down i do love what does your mother think yeah (laughs) (laughs) they maybe need to add a few more yeah a few more steps there like or a few more um uh lines yeah to their, to their roster aside <laughs> right. from what would your mother think yeah but yeah it's an interesting yeah, little time sticking sticking with a couple girlfriends always yeah. a good idea but also we see kind of like the rise a little bit of teen culture here which is not yes. like a thing that would come out like yeah teenagers as a concept didn't really exist until the post-war period yeah yeah exactly i mean before that it was sort of you know you were a child and you were a small adult yeah yeah so yeah, now we have these like 17-year-olds who are going out to dances and cars with boys. Yeah, it's this interesting sort of like teenage culture, right? Where there's like presumably not a lot of adults around them. Yeah. Or if they are, it's like, you know, young kind of college-age adults mm-hmm. presumably going to these dances. They're not chaperoned anymore. Yeah. Like, their chaperones are yeah. their peers, which is so different. Yes. Yeah, and then they're having to rely so much more on each other mm-hmm. to like decide like, first of all, what's socially okay. Yeah. And then also just to like, for safety. Yeah, like, totally. And like- yeah what do they like as a group and as friends and yeah yeah, like personal preference too they're exploring i think what's really nice about this is that all these girls are talking about that yeah they're like like i don't know did you talk with your friends when you were a teenager about like i like when boys do this but i don't like when boys do that there were a i would say a limited amount of boys okay where i went where i grew up (laughs) yeah and that like the boys i grew up around were boys i had gone to school with since kindergarten yeah and were not super appealing because they'd be like well that's the one that like pooped his pants in grade one (laughs) Okay, Come fair. On. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, when we met a new boy, yes, we would talk about it, but... Yeah. But, like, I guess, you know, it's it's nice to see that, like, in the absence of those chaperones... They're using each other. They're using each other. I also love saying we're of a... Don't give a darn sophisticated... Don't give a darn. <laughs> like, it's so close to being edgy and risque. It's, like, that's just, like, 40s lingo for, like, we're cool. Right, yeah. <laughs> we're hip. So, what do you think an advice columnist would say? don't neck Ooh, interesting okay. i don't know um her advice is what you girls first need to do is clarify your own ideas on the subject of sex and get more information oh learning about human nature by personal experiment is ri- is risky and slow you can find all your answers in one evening by reading good books <laughs> <laughs> what kind of books are you recommending start with what a young girl should know the doctor's daughter or sex in the young by marie stopes then you might graduate to Married Love, also by Marie, or by Mary Stopes. Okay, well, I already love this woman because yeah. that's that's actually incredible. You are not too young to know the facts, as it contains as girls of eighteen are old enough to get married without their parents' consent, and you are admittedly exposed to temptation. The more you know, the better protected you will be. The book will also give you a high-minded attitude towards the place of sex in human life and make you realize the cheapening effect of loose or foolish conduct. Mm. Okay, mixed bag. There we go. Um, Men, Women, and God by Herbert Gray will further emphasize this point. Right now, more than ever, it is the patriotic duty of girls to be their best selves and make boys realize the value of personal dignity and self-control. Okay. (laughs) I am against necking with casual dates. A couple in love are entitled to occasional romantic moments for they are protected to some extent by their dreams for the future and have a high regard for each other. But when a girl sits in a parked car with a boy she doesn't mean anything to and lets him paw her, she is just asking for trouble. Ugh. She can't blame him for making advances and can't tell how inflammable her emotions or his will be. 
Goodnight kisses between pairs are permissible, but not necking. Asking a boy what his mother would think is futile. Either he doesn't care what she thinks, or he resents being reminded of her. <laughs> Much better to treat the whole matter lightly, but show you mean what you say. Something Sometimes it is effective to make remarks like, Sorry, I've given up necking for the duration, or I only neck on February 29th. <laughs> or, didn't you know I have hand, foot, and mouth disease? <laughs> and then go on talking about something else. <laughs> I mean, that last one is very funny. It's really good. <laughs> I do like I only neck on February 29th because I feel like when I've heard that before, it's on a date that doesn't exist. That is a date that's like once every four years I am <laughs> no, available. Like, I only date on like February 30th. Yeah. But no, like I do neck but once every four years. It's rare, <laughs> but it happens. Um, her final idea is to um, look a boy in the eye and say, no dice. If you're doing this because you think I expect it, you're wrong. And if it's your own idea, get a better one. Any moron can neck, but it takes a bright boy to talk the way you do. Why don't you tell me more about and then mention his pet subject? (laughs) If you slap a boy down slightly and administer flattery at the same time, you can usually make your point without offending him. (laughs) And if you are attractive, accomplished, and good at the oh how wonderful you are line, you can be popular without necking. Boys whose aim is necking or nothing aren't worth having as friends. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I really love this tactic of being like, no, I like don't want to make out with you. Tell me more about that video game you've been playing. Right? <laughs> okay, but also like, <laughs> it would work. I, yes, that's what I love. <laughs> right? Tell me about all of the states you've memorized recently. <laughs> Tell me about that airplane crash you were talking about. <laughs> that would work on both of our boyfriends. Yeah. <laughs> um. I mean, I actually really love the first half of that. But it's she's it's like, not bad advice. She's like, hey, like, you have every right to inform yourself before yeah. you, like, you know, start going down that road. And then we get into, like, patriotic duty. Yeah. <laughs> it's your patriotic duty not to neck. neck. <laughs> but this is, like, also a whole thing. You've seen the, like, propaganda ads about, like, spreading STIs during the war, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, Okay. I guess that is a patriotic duty to some extent. <laughs> so we don't, I don't know, give the men syphilis, yeah. I suppose, down the line. <laughs> but since there was suggested reading, I did actually check some of the books out. I was going to I was gonna say it's it's hard to know how good that advice is without knowing how Do good the Do you remember when I was sending you bits of vintage sex ed books? Oh, not really? About how, like, they should go to gym and work out and stay cold. <laughs> okay, yes, I do remember that. <laughs> That was part of this. Okay. We're not going to talk about it a lot because there were like multiple books mentioned, but I did look into um, Marie Stopes, who was uh, born Marie Charlotte Carmichael Stopes. She's a British campaigner for women's rights, an author, a paleobotanist who helped with um, plant and coal classification, Mm -hmm. was a big advocate for like birth control. She founded the first birth control clinic in Britain, edited a whole newspaper about it. Not shockingly, also big into eugenics. Oh, okay. As was often the case with early birth control advocates. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Um, the books that are being mentioned here were written in the 1920s. Okay. So they're, they're like... They're already kind of a generation old when she's yeah, recommending right? them. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about it a little bit. And, like, culture wasn't changing as much then as it does now, right? Like, That's we shift true. through stuff a lot faster because of, like, well, the internet, basically. I guess also, like, those might be the books that she had read. Exactly, right? These are ones that, like, maybe Thompson grew up with yeah. and recommended. But the advice doesn't seem that like outdated for what I understand of like yeah. 1940s sex ed it's pretty like straightforward on like here is what sex is 
it's bad for you. Don't do it if you're not married, basically. (laughs) But the impulse is normal. Okay. Yeah. But it is a bit like giving a teen, like, a dating guide from 2008. Yeah. For context. (laughs) Um, So... Stopes is making some interesting points for the 1920s, I would say. She argues against, like, specialty sex ed courses. Okay. But making it a part of regular schooling. So instead of being, oh. like, it's an optional thing, like, it's a part of day-to-day life, you talk about it so it's not, like, yeah. scandalous. We still haven't done that. <laughs> yep. Um, Learn the proper names for body parts to make kids, um, well, this is not, like, so we know what it is, but it's to make kids less excited by crude slang. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. And then there's a lot of stuff that's, like, outdated or homophobic or Mm, about like racial instincts Uh just a little bit of eugenics slipped in there it's a fascinating product of its time yeah it is available for free on archive.org if you want to read some like weird old sex ed books yeah (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i feel like it's like for the 1940s pretty good advice to be like go read Mm -hmm. especially to like 18 year olds basically yeah and to tell them that like hey this is like your right to know yeah basically Yeah. yeah So, um, our next letter is from 1944, and it reads, Dear Miss Thompson, maybe I'm just dumb and have missed a very obvious solution to my problem, and I wish I could tell you, I wish you could tell me some way to make life more worth living. My husband has been in the army for two years and is now overseas, and I am just starved for some fun. I have two children going to school and work part-time, so I am pretty busy, but all work and no play makes Jill a dull girl. Before my husband enlisted, we went out a lot with other couples and had them over, not many, in our, of, not many of the men in our crowd joined up, and as an extra woman, there isn't really a place for me in their gatherings now. Please don't misunderstand me. I have absolutely no desire to go out with other men, but I would like to talk to people my own age, including some men, and go places occasionally and have a little fun. In my spare time, I mostly listen to the radio or go to the movies by myself. Sometimes I get so fed up I could scream. I know that there are thousands of other women in the same boat, and there must be some answer to the problem, but I haven't been able to find one. Yeah. I mean, that sounds really isolating. Right, yeah. And it must be tough to have, like, the one person in your family that supports you gone. The one person your own age, also, that you could, like, have an adult conversation with. I mean, this is a thing that housewives still struggle with, I think, is just, like, Having to talk to children? Yeah, only talking to children all day. Well, like, I used to work at a daycare, and Mm -hmm. I did find, like, I talked to kids for eight hours a day, and even, like, that amount of exposure, I would find myself, like... Your brain kind of rots a little bit. You're like, I would like to talk to a grown-up, please. Uh, And be able to, like, use adult language. For a while, um, oh my goodness gracious was a part of my vocabulary, because that was, like, the staff's go-to shorthand for, like, oh, we really want to say something we shouldn't. We go, oh my goodness gracious. (laughs) Um... Yeah, no, just, you know, yeah, that's not too like bad. an uncommon problem. Yeah, like, I wonder if there were sort of groups for, for women, you know, whose husbands were enlisted during the war. Yeah, um, that's, I mean, basically what yeah. Thompson's advice is, that part of her trouble is that none of her women friends are service wives, mm-hmm. so their lives are functionally the same as they were before the war. And your scheme of things is completely upset. You haven't a pal to share any hunt for recreation. Um, inquire at the YWCA regarding clubs for servicemen's wives. Mm-hmm. As you work part-time, you might not be able to attend the Ladies of the Armed Forces meetings, which are two afternoons a week. But if you can arrange to go, you have a choice of swimming, badminton, red cross work, and various interesting classes. And have you considered helping in clubs for young people? With so much concern over juvenile delinquency, oh. there is more <laughs> need than ever for keen, energetic leaders, and you should find out if you could help with a group in your church or elsewhere. So I feel like the first half of that was really good. Yeah. This is often a theme with these. You're like, oh, okay, I like this then. Oh. This is like, are you ever talking to someone 
and you're like they're saying something and you're like nodding and then they start saying something halfway through the sentence and you're like, like no, oh, no, oh no 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 no, no. <laughs> but it's too late to back out it's too late you're already nodding <laughs> yeah you've approved <laughs> Um, and I will say, because I feel like she missed the bit there where she's like, "I would like to talk to a grown up, please." And she's like, "Have you? Do you want to talk with more kids? Yeah, and stop them from becoming juvenile delinquents? Would you like to talk to bad kids? <laughs> <laughs> what every tired parent wants yeah. to do." But it's an interesting little hint too, in like the rise of like, I mean, roving gangs of like dirtbag teens, essentially, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, because you see this with come, cars, with cars, yeah. Like this comes up more in like the nineteen fifties. I don't know why my go-to reference for this is always the song Officer Krupke from West Side Story. Okay, I do not know that. It's basically a song about, like, juvenile delinquency and, like, is it a social disease? Are they born this way? It's, like, a uh, family problem. Okay. It's fun. I'm hey, thinking of, Officer like, Krupke. Yeah. Krupp you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's silly. Okay. <laughs> One of my profs in university, um, we did a whole, it was, like, a health class, and we talked about lobotomies, and he went... This has been very sad, so we're going to watch my favorite song from West Side Story and put on Officer Krupke. I think I know what teacher that was. You for sure do. Oh, man. So, yeah, like, there's this kind of, like, concern over juvenile delinquency that comes up early into this and then, like, carries through throughout her letters as well. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I feel like I read less of that in the earlier columns. Yeah, and I wonder what, like... You know, is it just that teens are having more kind of unsupervised time? I wonder if teens are getting jobs more often. Maybe, they yeah. they have more income. I don't know. More independence than they did before. So. More independence. I guess more people are moving into cities. It's harder to be sort of a roving gang of delinquents <laughs> if you're on a farm. Yeah, then you just kind of go around as a family unit and cause problems. Because, <laughs> like, that's what, my, that's what my family did. Yeah. Um, I will say... You, you can get into a lot of good trouble in the country. My uncles used to tip outhouses over. Very fun. Um, until someone moved the outhouse over about like half an inch or maybe a little more. So when they tipped it, they fell into the pit in the ground. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> but yeah, it's an, an interesting little hint there towards like some societal fears. Yeah. For this poor woman who just wants to talk to adults. And also that like we've moved from like white slavery. Right. <laughs> right. Which was like the nineteen big 1920s. Right. Fear. Yes. Into, like, now we're scared of juvenile delinquents. And not, like, mysterious foreigners. There's always got to be something we're a little hysterical about. Yeah. 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 Always. (laughs) So, um, our next one is also from 1944. Um, it's a short one. Um, it says, Dear Miss Thompson, I am almost certain a great many girls would appreciate having a list of the contents of an average hope chest. Please give your opinions on the subject. Okay. You know what a hope chest is, obviously. Is this, like, a chest that you put together for, like, your future home? Yeah. Okay. I, I had a box in the basement. <laughs> what was in your hope chest? Um, I had like some nice like measuring cups and a spice rack and some like tea towels. <laughs> yeah. That's cute. Yeah. Yeah. So hope chests have like a pretty broad history. Actually, I was kind of looking into it a little bit. Um, they spanned like thousands of years. You see them in a lot of different cultures. Cool. Um, so like they're called dowry chests in mm-hmm. like the Middle East, um, marriage chests and their contents vary depending on like where they're from in the time period. So like typically it's a thing a woman makes or their family makes for her for a bit in Germany. It's a thing the suitor gives to the woman. When I went to the Anne of Green Gable house, they had, um, Lucy Maud Montgomery's, uh, hope chest. Right. Yes. Was it a yeah. big cedar chest? Uh, it was a big chest for sure. I don't know if it was cedar. A lot of them in the 1920s or 1900s and onwards are made of cedar. Okay. There was one American company that manufactured uh, cedar chests and that really became the norm. Yeah. So, like, when you hear talk of hope chests, they tend to be cedar chests. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. Hmm. So, like, typically, 
they range from household goods like spice racks yeah. and tea towels <laughs> to like cutlery, linens, clothing, even sometimes like lingerie. Mm. It's to set a woman up for like her married life. Yeah. And then some senses that some of them will have like expensive things for like the woman to support herself should she have to leave or mm. need to be independent, but they go back a long way. But the point of it is to set someone up for married life. Yeah. So um, the contents of a hope chest in the 1940s are, um, should be um, adjusted to meet probable needs. For instance, a war bride intending to follow her active service husband in living rooms won't want to stock up with many linens, whereas a girl who is going to settle down will need more. A bride starting in a three-room apartment needs less than one who begins with a house. So a lot more flexibility yeah. <laughs> in that. But the suggested list for a home with one double bed in a guest room or a Davenport in the living room, which could be used for guests. Oh. <laughs> six sheets, six pillowcases, four wool blankets, one comforter, one steamer rug, two bedspreads, four pillows. Actually, twice as many sheets and pillowcases might be better. For the bathroom, 12 bath towels, 12 hand towels, 12 washcloths, three or more guest towels, two bath mats. It's very towel based. <laughs> this is Okay. I've been living on my own for several years. This is so many more linens that I own. <laughs> right? For the kitchen. 12 dish towels, 6 holders, 6 hand towels. Incidentally, small Turkish towels are excellent for drying dishes and cost less than linen. For the dining room, enough to provide 6 changes of linen. Uh, much depends on whether play sets or tablecloths are used. Yeah, that's a lot of linen. Right? <laughs> I know, like, it's so much fabric. <laughs> No, like, I mostly have one set of, like, you know, my, like, sheets and pillowcases yeah. that I just wash and then put back on the bed. I have I have two because my cats like to puke on my bed a lot. Oh, fun. So I have, like, backups in yeah. case this happens. And I'm like, I it's going to go in the wash for later. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a, lot of, it's a lot of linens and a lot of towels. Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe if you're, like, taking your linens to a laundromat, it makes sense to have extras. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, or if you're having guests more often, too. Or it's right? not even a laundromat, a, you know. Washing them laundry. out in the yard. <laughs> yeah. So I thought I would compare it with a 1928 hope chest from Problems of the Heart. Oh. Um, so a 1928 hope chest should include the homely needs, sheets, pillow slips, towels, all bearing the bride's initials, her family name. Oh. Um, done in embroidery by her own fair, kitchen tea cloths with lace edging and inset pieces at the corners. Dozens of table napkins hand-hemmed in pretty handkerchiefs, cuffs, collars, bought at sales, with undies picked up now and again at a bargain figure. <laughs> that's cute. Right? That, I feel like that's much more specific. Right? It's really interesting that they specify the... Like, the bride's the, initials. Yeah. Yeah, and like with her family name and not her married name. Yeah, I mean, I guess this is like the like your thing that you bring into the house and yeah. bring into the marriage, right? Yeah, but there's also, I would... I noticed a lot more, like, handmade, like, hand-embroidered, mm -hmm. like, laced edging. Like, the implication is a thing that you or your family make for you. Yeah. Whereas so I, the 1940s ones is, like, you go out and you buy some tablecloths. The 1940s one feels maybe a little more practical. The 20s one feels a little more maybe sentimental. Yes, right. Yeah, and I think that's kind of a big shift that happens. Mm -hmm. I did uh, find a picture of the contents of someone's hope chest from the 1920s. Ooh, cool. It's from the newspaper, so it's a little blurry. Okay, I see, like... Is that lingerie? Is yes, that... it is. Ah, it lo it's like a frilly bra. Yeah. That's quite modern looking, actually. Uh, it is crocheted. Oh, that's very modern. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, and then, I mean, it's a lot of lacy things. It's a lot of lacy linens and things. Yeah, so it's like crocheted tablecloths and yeah. lace stuff. Is that a, do you think that's a bag or is that a top? I can't tell. That's a top. That's like the oh. undershirt you would wear with a skirt and ah, then a blouse okay. on top of it. Cool. 
it's nicely like embroidered and everything too. Yeah, very like fine, and this stuff was all like handmade, mm-hmm. purportedly. So, yeah, a lot of sentimentality in the twenties ones, and then the forties seems to be more like here's what you need to like get on the go. Yeah. I mean, there are benefits to both of those. Yeah, totally. And I mean, we don't use hope chests as much now because yeah, women aren't going into marriage. Yeah. Out of their, like, I just kind of have acquired stuff through adulthood. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I have a really fun one next. Um, it's very scandalous. Oh, okay. We've got some drama now. This is um in the like late summer of 1944. About six years ago, my sister divorced her husband. Mm-hmm. She is a grand person. We've never blamed her for doing as she did. But since then, she has been keeping company with a married man. Oh, no. They spend every evening together and he takes her to all kinds of places, never goes anywhere without her. Yet he always goes home where his wife is to eat and to sleep. Our family has done everything we could to break them up. And now she never bothers with any of us. She is at work all day and sees him at night. We are a respectable family and it hurts us to have a sister who has dropped all her friends and relatives for a married man. She is over 40. He is past 50. His wife does not care what he does so long as he keeps her. They have nothing in common and no family. And we have told our sister that he does not care for her as he claims or he would do something about it. He has also told her he was, we have also told her that he is the kind who wants his jam on both sides. Yeah. (laughs) All this is no effect. We know that divorce is not easy in this country, but in my opinion, a woman who lives with a man for a meal ticket is far worse than a woman of the streets. Oh, this woman is just a dog in the manger. Huh? She knows about her husband and my sister and won't do a thing. How can a woman like that have any self-respect? You may say my sister is bad for taking something that is not hers. But does a marriage vow make one person belong to another? Especially when the vow is broken almost as soon as it is made. I don't think people were meant to live together just tolerating each other. This man married his wife at 17 before he was mature in any sense. And now he is in love and says he can't do anything about it. There ought to be a way to stop such marriages. What is your opinion? I... <laughs> this woman is mad at the wrong person. <laughs> right all over the place. Like out of nowhere. It like... just really turns yeah. halfway on its head. Right? I'm like, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, complicated situation. Then she's like, this woman. I'm like, wait, what woman? <laughs> she's like a ma- she's a dog in a manger. Okay. The woman who wants to stay married to her husband. <laughs> right. I mean, if the wife doesn't mind. <laughs> Yeah, this feels like a thing where in present day, if a friend told me, I would go, okay. Yeah, like, are, are you are you mm-hmm. in a poly situation, situation? maybe? <laughs> like, like, it seems like if, the white, if everyone knows about what's going on and yeah. is fine with it. Okay. Yeah. Like, it, what like, can this woman do? <laughs> like, it's not for me, but like. Sure. Sure. <laughs> and then you go and gossip with your friends being like, have you heard what so-and-so is doing? Yeah. <laughs> huh. Very strange. Very, very dramatic for a letter at the time. (laughs) Um, So Elizabeth Thompson's advice is, according to present day laws, a boy cannot marry in Manitoba before 18 without his parents' consent. Okay. So there are laws in place to stop this from happening now. Um, Naturally, you resent the situation very much, but the people concerned are old enough to know what they are doing. And if they find happiness in the present arrangement, your best plan is to stop criticizing, accept the situation, and leave the door open for friendly relations. Yeah. I think that's pretty good advice. Right. I agree that the man appears in rather a poor light and think he has no right to take up all of your sister's time unless there is some prospect of being able to marry her. But he has no grounds for a divorce, and since his wife is not likely to divorce him, he could live apart from his wife, but he would still have to support her. And he may not consider that added expense worth worth the increase in dignity. 
Evidently, he is not sensitive or he would not find the present setup endurable. <laughs> Try, if possible, to get your sister interested in something besides the man, clubs, hobbies, music that would keep her from living such a narrow life and would keep her from being completely sunk if you finally got tired of her. There is no use being bitter about the wife's attitude. Many women are sitting pretty on their legal rights and giving nothing in return to being supported. At present, there is nothing in the law of the land forcing a woman to be a good wife if she wants to keep her job. What? She can refuse to cook meals, refuse to bear children. She can keep her home like a pigsty and spend her husband's money like water without giving so much as a kind word. And he can't get rid of her or refuse to support her. Why are we so mad long at this as woman she again? Lives under the same roof. Men should exercise a lot more care in choosing wives than many of them do. <laughs> this poor woman. Right. She, she's like... Also, it said that he goes home for dinner every day. Yeah. She is cooking this man's meals. Right. Then being like, okay, have fun, honey. <laughs> Goodbye. And we just all hate her. <laughs> right? <laughs> How dare she? Okay, also, here's my question. Presumably, the way that they know that the wife is okay with this is through the husband. Yeah. Do you think it's true? I mean, it could be. It could be. I also think that could be a thing that a cheating husband says. So here's my, like, yeah. I, I, like, I've been online. I've seen this happen before. Yeah. Divorce laws are very different now than they were sure. then. Like, yeah. this, I don't think they could have gotten a divorce at the time. Because I looked into divorce laws in Canada. Um, since I'm not married nor a lawyer, I didn't realize that divorce law is like a federal, like, it's a federal thing. It's not hmm. a provincial thing. But that's not until 1968. Okay. So we don't have, like, a unified divorce law until then. So provinces are kind of set up doing their own little ad hoc things. Mm -hmm. The Maritimes have a whole different thing. Um, on the prairies, we follow the matrimonial causes law of 19 of 1857 from the UK. Wow. Okay. So the act allows legal separation by their husband or wife on grounds of adultery, cruelty, or desertion. However, were the petitioner an accessory or condone the adultery, the divorce could not be obtained. Uh, so okay. if the wife knows about the adultery and is fine with it, mm -hmm. they won't grant the divorce. And I guess also if, if she doesn't want the divorce, like, I guess if you're the one doing the cheating, you can't say, I'm cheating on my wife, therefore I want, I want a divorce. divorce. Yeah. The, like, a, 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 what's the word? It would have to be the wife who yeah. petitions for it. Yes. Interesting. And I mean, women have a harder time. So men would be able to petition on grounds of adultery and probably mm -hmm. get it. Women would have to petition on adultery and something else. Oh. Like so, also, like, like, cruelty, cruelty abandonment. Okay. And, like... It is very hard to mm -hmm. obtain, and it's at the whim of the court system. Um, so, like, a woman could... Oh, here are the causes of, like, if a husband is cheating, and then the wife could prove that he had committed incest incestuous adultery, rape, sodomy, bestiality, bigamy, or adultery, coupled with cruelty and desertion. Okay. Wives proven to have committed adultery were not entitled to spousal support, and husbands could never apply for support under any circumstances. Okay. And part of what I think about this, too, is the sisters aren't even divorced once. Mm -hmm. And divorce is so hard to obtain that, like, whatever was going on there can't have been good. Right. So, like, maybe, yeah, she just doesn't want to get married again. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, it's also, like, this is why every, like, Alfred Hitchcock movie exists. Right. It's because divorce was so hard back then. It's a man that hates his wife. Every single one of them starts with someone being like, I won't give you a divorce. <laughs> And then they're like, okay, okay. going to have to murder you I then. guess. You didn't give me much of a choice. Yeah. So, yeah, like, I don't know. It's interesting to look in this little, like, peek into divorce laws at the time. Cause... Yeah. So, I mean, if this if this husband and wife is like, eh, you know what? We're not really into it, but, like, like into each other. Yeah. You know? And, I mean, I, that happens all the time, I'm sure, right? Like, yeah. 
when you can't... if they got married when they're you know 17 when or they're that young yeah. now but like he's in his 50s so it's been years mm-hmm. yeah maybe like we can't get a divorce so yeah we'll be like separated but live together yeah and then you have this poor woman that's gotten out of what I assume is a pretty bad marriage if she got a divorce granted in the 1940s. Yeah, and especially if they're saying, like, none of us blame her for it. Exactly. So, like, yeah, like, I don't necessarily blame her either for being like, I would like to just have fun. Yeah. <laughs> I want to date a man and, like, live in my own house. <laughs> yes, exactly. Without any pressure of having to marry this guy. Because, mm-hmm. like, if she marries a second time, she probably she probably won't get out of it. Yeah. So, yeah, like, divorce yeah. laws have changed a lot. Yeah. Um, for a while, Canada had one of the lowest divorce rates Yeah, in, like, North America, and I think in the Commonwealth. But I think it's because our laws were so specific. Yeah. Do you remember way back when I did my um, Red Light District episode, one of the interesting things was that statistically quite a number of those women were married. Right, yeah. Like, especially, especially madams, but, yeah. like, women who, who were sex workers as well. Um, and probably some of that is that they had left you know yep. abusive husbands or husbands that they just didn't want to be with anymore and were just technically still married yeah totally i'm sure yeah it happens all the time and even going into like the late 60s because i was looking in a little bit to when we take on our like proper divorce laws there was a lot of talk about how like we shouldn't do it because like a good christian relationship stays together forever mm-hmm. but then like what happens there obviously is women get stuck in bad marriages yeah and then and then everyone murders each other and then once we get that law in place, divorce rates go up. But it's because so many people have been married yeah. unhappily for decades. <laughs> um, the other one that I had was, was like a fun sort of sense of social concern was about smoking. Oh, okay. So Miss um, Thompson has apparently had some opinions on smoking over this. I couldn't find any examples of her being like casual about it. Did we know that smoking was harmful then? I'm going to talk about that. Okay. Don't worry. All right. So... Her attitude towards smoking across the columns is pretty, like, neutral in that, like, I'm not going to, like, go on, like, a moral tirade against it. Mm -hmm. Not everyone likes this. Okay. So, in 1945, a mother of two writes to the free press to rebuff her claims about women smoking. She writes, It is useless to say there is no connection between smoking and the case of girls in morals. There is evidence on every hand that is not true. Perhaps if a girl is strong-willed, she will stop at smoking, but with many girls of weaker will, smoking is the first step downwards. <laughs> then comes drinking, immorality, forced marriages, divorce. I could go on and on, and I am not raving. We are seeing these things happen. <laughs> then there is the question of cigarettes on health. Many authorities say that smoking shortens the life expectancy by years. These last few years, the smoking habit is becoming acquired by many young children as young as six years old. Yeah, yeah. When asked where they get their cigarettes, they will answer, Mom smokes. It leads right into juvenile delinquency. For once that habit is acquired, it has to be fed, and it takes real money to feed it. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, p- like, part of that is silly. Part of that is true, right? <laughs> Most of it is silly. Yeah. Because um, what it sounds like, to me more than anything, is either a Fox News rant or a mom on Facebook who's <laughs> heard someone's dealing weed behind their house. Well, especially the line of, we're seeing this. It's true. <laughs> that really feels like like a, a rant. I also don't know if there were that many six-year-olds smoking. I ha- I will say I have seen, not that many, but I have seen photos, like old photos yeah. of very young children smoking. Um, Probably not a lot of them all no, the time. No, I don't think it's like a huge I, trend. One thing I do always think is funny about 
humans since always is that we just love to hate on anything that young people especially young women or girls are doing if if like 15 to 16 year old girls are doing a thing we're like we hate that it could lead to drinking forced marriages and divorce how please tell me how (laughs) it's like i mean yeah there's like it's a smoking is a gateway drug to immorality drug thing yeah i mean it is it's the same argument over and over again because it's what teens do and that's scary yeah um, so there's a much longer thing where she goes on about how, like, how dare you, like, support this? Mm-hmm. And Thompson replies, I have not stressed the health angle as I find insurance companies do not charge extra premiums for smokers. Oh, okay. Not a problem then. Their life expectancy is evidently considered normal. And I have told my daughter that if she ever wants to experiment, she can feel free to smoke in her own living room. There is no need to sneak off and do it on the sly. <laughs> This sounds like drinking and weed. Yes, this is like when the cool mom is like, yeah. you know, if you're going to drink, do it here. <laughs> the net result of this is that she hasn't the slightest interest in learning to smoke and says she probably never will. But if she does, it will not have any more meaning for her than trying a new food. On the other hand, mothers like you who surround the practice with such an atmosphere of horror and danger give it the charm of a forbidden fruit. Your daughters feel they are doing something exciting and dangerous when they puff a cigarette. Also, if you tell them it is going to lead to worse things, they practically sit around waiting for them. (laughs) I'm sorry you feel as you do because it must cause you a lot of unnecessary worry. And goodness knows there's plenty of unavoidable worries about bringing up a family as it is. Mm -hmm. Which is pretty reasonable. Yeah. Yep. As reasonable as it can be about teenagers smoking. (laughs) Um, Two more people write in after this um, on April 7th to complain about her stance, both saying they don't like smoking. There's a youth leader coming in to be like, it's bad when people do it. And mm-hmm. then um, a father writing saying that, like, my wife smokes and I hate her for it. Okay. <laughs> so you should tell your girl that, like, if she smokes, boys won't like her anymore. Mm-hmm. And then a um, coach, so like a high school teacher, comes in with a reference to a book called Physiology and Hygiene, which is part of the Canadian Health Series, which is a bunch of, like, textbooks to teach mm-hmm. families about, like, health and wellness. And in that one, there's a lot more, like, Smoking is bad for athletes. Right. Um, and Thompson's response to all of this across the board is like, you can bring up that it costs money, that it will harm their relationships with their peers, but you're not going to get anything out of being like a holier than thou weirdo about it to your children. Mm-hmm. Which I think is the right point to make, especially in the 40s, because yeah, yeah, the attitude towards smoking that is very different than it is now. Yeah. So... The 40s are like the heyday of the tobacco industry, that going into the 50s or into the 30s. So this is long before that. Like we were shown videos of people like smokers lung mm-hmm. in school and people who had like damaged their vocal cords with it in their throat. Yeah. We got really heavy like yes. anti-smoking propaganda for sure. That is not a thing that existed mm-hmm. back then. Um, people are smoking in movies constantly. Tobacco companies are advertising to women specifically because men are on the front lines. Right. Or just coming back. And the war had been pretty good at marketing cigarettes to soldiers. They had, like, specialty boxes. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a picture of a cigarette ad. I've been, um... Well, here, I'll let you show this to me first. Oh, interesting. It's a photo of... Or, not a photo. <laughs> <laughs> it's um a picture of a woman, like, dressed in, like, kind of a, a kilt with, like, a sword and a shield. Yeah. And it's for cigarettes. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. And she looks pretty cool. Yeah, that's always the way it goes. They make them look real neat. Um, I have been watching this TikTok account of this guy who opens old, um, like, meal rations. 
Right, yeah. And um, he opened one with cigarettes in it a while ago. And apparently they, they didn't package those with the meals for all that long because it made the biscuits taste like cigarettes. Yeah. But also, like... But, like, but I think that is, like, telling that they're, like, oh, this is something soldiers need. Like, yeah. this is something that people, everyone is going to want. I will say, for, like, a warfront thing, it does make a little bit of sense because nicotine does suppress the appetite. Mm, yeah. So you might need less rations. Yeah. But, yeah, like, the attitude towards smoking is that, like, maybe they didn't like it if women did it, but, like, it was the accepted and normal thing to do. And there mm. were ads everywhere saying, like, these cigarettes are light and good for you and you'll feel yeah. better when you have them. And the tobacco industry had such a hold on like marketing that people didn't really know what the health effects were going to be. Mm-hmm. So um, I do have numbers on how much we were smoking at the time. Wow. Okay. So um, the number of cigarettes consumed annually in Canada increased from a factor of 10 from 1929 to 1949. This reaches 28 billion by 1949. Wow. Okay. Uh, with a per capita annual consumption um, about 3,000 cigarettes per adult. Wow. Okay. That's a lot. Um, a survey in 1947 showed that 49% of Montreal women were smokers. Hmm. So that means, too, that, like, the people who are smoking are smoking a lot. Yes, exactly. I guess I guess if you don't think it's bad for your health, why, why wouldn't you? Exactly. Yeah. So, like, people are maybe at best vaguely aware of the health risks. Um, in 1938, there's a science magazine chart that demonstrates that smokers' life expectancy is shorter than non-smokers. Mm-hmm. It had been illegal to sell cigarettes to people under uh, 16 since 1908. But, like, the tobacco company isn't paying for research into is it bad for you. Sure. And a lot of the research into those health effects come from Germany and Britain and aren't published widely. Mm. In part because of, like, tobacco industry lobbying. Yeah. And then this only changes in the 1960s and onwards. There's kind of, like, a cancer scare in the 50s Mm -hmm. about it. And then we only get uh, major tobacco restrictions in 1988 in Canada. Hmm. So, like, for yeah. a long time, that was just, like, the norm. Yeah. And I can still, like, I don't remember a time this happened, but, like, I grew up shortly after, like, they started closing smoking rooms. Yeah, I remember going to going to uh, restaurants where there was a smoking and a non-smoking section. Yeah, which totally. Is, which is very silly. People used to smoke um, at, like, the curling rink in my hometown, like, on the ice. Yeah. Like... It's not good for the ice. Like, it's... it's <laughs> It's a gas. It's, yeah. <laughs> it goes through the air. Right, yeah. <laughs> you uh, you both went to UW, right? Yeah, You betcha. Um, there used to be a smoking room. I, I started there in 2001, and for the first couple of years I was there, uh, there was a smoking room, and it was, I guess it's now like the Hive. Maybe it's something else by now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like kind of right near the, uh, I don't remember what, what it, like not the, not the portage, but the one yeah. directly yeah. across from it, that entranceway, there was like, it's like this like glass enclosed room. Oh, oh. That's where we used to screen movies. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, like, it turned into, like, a multi-purpose room. Yeah. But it was the smoking room, and they had up, like, brown paper on around the inside of the windows, like, to hide the shame of the wow. people smoking. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah, it's so bizarre. I, yeah. I remember when I went to um, high school, there were, like, designated smoking spots that were, like, I think, like, just right beyond the border of, like, yeah. school property, basically. If yeah, we had caught, that in my school, too. <laughs> yeah. If you were caught smoking on school property at Dakota Collegiate, you then had to go pick up all the butts. Ah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a pretty good punishment. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, that's that's a lot of smoking. And, um, I mean, it's it's interesting the thing that the original response had said about, like, the fact that health differences don't seem to be that different between smokers and non-smokers 
because I could see if everyone is smoking around everyone else constantly. Right, yeah. That you might also just be getting damaging effects from <laughs> right. secondhand smoke. There had been an interesting part of it that I hadn't looked into too, too, too deeply because this episode isn't about like the tobacco industry. Sure. Um, where like until the 1920s and 30s, lung cancer was really rare. Hmm. But then with the rise of like smoking, doctors start seeing it more and more and it takes a while before them to like put the pieces together on right. it. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, like... The studies just haven't been done yet. Maybe this happens still with, like, newer stuff, too. Mm. Like, we talk a little bit now about, like, how vaping might also be bad for you. Yes, and I guess we're, like, you know, just t- starting to realize. Yeah, exactly. It's what happens, but, yeah, it's an interesting little snippet of, like, societal fears and, like, what we think tobacco does to us or doesn't. Yeah, it's so interesting, too, because, like, the... Like, I have such mi- such mixed feelings about that because I'm like, yes, teenage girls should not smoke because it's bad and, for them. Yeah. But stop telling them what to do. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't smoke, generally. No, you're a good rule. It's bad for you. <laughs> I think it's just the reasons they're giving that are annoying me. Yes. A lot of them are bad reasons. Yeah. It's, it's not for moral reasons that you shouldn't smoke. <laughs> it's for your health. <laughs> smoking is morally neutral if you're not smoking around yeah. other people. But yeah, that's our little deep dive into like the world of the 1940s mm-hmm. or the early 1940s, at least. Cool. Yeah. So learned really a little fun. bit about like divorce laws and tobacco yeah. regulations <laughs> all over the place and yeah. the rise of juvenile delinquency fears. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening. It was great to be back. We'll come back in March with another fun episode. And happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Oh, yes. Happy Valentine's Day. Hope you have fun doing whatever it is you want to do. <laughs> I don't know. Don't smoke. Okay. Or do if you want to, I guess. And no necking. No, unless you're in a committed relationship. Unless that's you've okay. read the books. Yeah, if you read every sex ed book we mentioned in this, <laughs> you can go neck in a car somewhere. It's fine. Um, if you want to check us out on social media, we are One Great History on Facebook and Instagram and the number One Great History on Twitter. You can check us out on patreon.com forward slash One Great History. We put out fun bonus episodes. I think we're going to do... Um, some more of the masked jury for that this month. Ooh, fun. To see what other, like, weird panels they put together. Um, you get that for, like, $5 a month. It's pretty fun. We have a lot of bonus episodes now. We've put it a lot. Yeah. Um, and you can check out our website, um, onegreathistory.wordpress.com, to see our sources, pictures for the episodes, whatever little bit I have of, like, smoking ads and crochet patterns. <laughs> and thanks and, to everyone who came to that uh, live show. Oh, yes. Thank you, everyone that came to our live show. It was really fun to do. It was neat. Yeah, we had a great time. It was fun to be in front of a crowd again, because I feel like that's what we used to do yes, back in the day. I, I feel like we did a lot more, like, bits, because I was like, oh, I want that little crowd response. Right, yeah, you want to get, <laughs> get a laugh out of people. Yeah. <laughs> and it was fun that we did. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, thanks, everyone. Thanks our, to our Patreons for supporting us. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.